Well, good morning. My name is John Schultz, and I have the honor of serving on staff here at Fort Caroline. Our pastor, Ricky Powell, and his wife, Donna, are enjoying their wedding anniversary. They got married on Groundhog Day. <laughs> I guess the indicator is that we're going to have a early spring from... That's, uh, and if you lived up in the Chicago area, you would be very thankful that that was the case. I, that's where I grew up, northern Illinois. Uh, seeing temperatures way below zero was not uncommon. And I can tell you, I don't miss a second of that. I'm very thankful that the Navy redeemed me from the northern Illinois area eventually. And uh, very thankful to be here with you. We are going to continue on in our series of the, uh, the DNA, the, the local church. Last week, Pastor Ricky shared with us the mission of Fort Carolina, and he challenged us to engage in that process. And that's love God, love others, serve the world. Be in a worship service, that's love God. Discover a life group, be in that, that's love others, and then serve the world. Discover a place of ministry to serve in. There are many, many opportunities for you to serve in ministry at Fort Caroline, even if you haven't made the decision to make Fort Caroline your church home yet. We have guest service. We have a variety of places. They're absolutely critical to helping people discover a positive impression from their first impression, and you guys could be a part of that. It doesn't make any difference where you are in your journey at Fort Caroline. We've got a place for you. And he talked about that some, and he talked as well about the ways that you can engage in that process. And, and I'll be in the back at the end of the service. If today's your first day and maybe you, uh, you filled out that, uh, that communication card or Let's Connect card, or maybe you're going to do it in the back, I will be back there at the end of the service. I would love to talk to you if today is your first time or you're somewhere along in the journey of making Fort Caroline your home, uh, I would love to talk with you because I, I think it's always good for us to gain feedback from people uh, that are, are not yet inside the fishbowl, if you will. They're, they're still trying to examine it. Is, it. is that a place for me? Do I see myself there? Uh, do they have things that can minister to me? And I would love to, uh, to talk with you. Someone said there's a football game today. Maybe. Yeah, that's, that's what I've heard. Now, um, I'm one of those people, probably not like you, that don't spend much time watching football. I love an old black and white war movie, uh, a, a black and white western, a, a anything with John, most anything with John Wayne, even in the rare times that he actually gets killed. Uh, and, uh, and then amazingly, he comes back to life again. Uh, but uh, I, I know that there is a large following, especially for people like me. I will make an exception, and even today I will probably watch the football game unless I fall asleep. Uh, so, but there are many of you here probably that either played football in high school or in college. Would you raise your hand if you played uh, football in high school or college? Just, just a curiosity question. Great. That's cool. You know, I, I did not. I, I was one of those guys that, uh, that the football coach came after and I decided to earn money instead of playing football. So uh, I probably, I look back now and, and regret that I didn't play because there's a, there's a camaraderie that happens in that whole experience of being together. You know, tonight as well, uh, that people will watch this game from a variety of ways, from online to purchased a, an 82-inch 
4K TV yesterday at Best Buy or, or wherever for that because you needed the TV. Uh, however you're going to do it, you're going to watch it and you're going to be an engaged spectator in this process. Man, you're going to analyze every play. You're going to think, man, I wouldn't have thrown it that way. I wouldn't have selected him, his statistical averages. And you know all of those. And God bless you. <laughs> you, you watch it. You follow it. You know it. You're a spectator of this sport. And, man, it just draws you in. And you love being a spectator. Now, being a spectator in football... Uh, is much easier than being a participant down on the field. You, you end up with much, most cases, less bruises unless you offend the person that you're watching the football game with. But do you know what? Millions of people will watch that sport and only be a spectator of it. They've never played it. They're like me, never played it. Enjoy it, but they can be very critical at times as a spectator. Millions of people around the globe are gathering in a variety of places from under a tarp, as we've seen as I've taken mission trips to Haiti and the Dominican Republic, gathering together not to watch a game, but to worship God. And isn't it amazing how easy it is sometimes for us to kind of sit back and, and watch the, the game, if you will, the event, if you will, almost like we're a spectator of worship. We, we grade it, we watch it, we walk away and say, man, I, I didn't really get anything out of that today. Now, you may say that today, I hope not. But is worship really about getting something from God? Is, could it be that worship is really about giving something to God? Is it possible that in our fallen humanness that we always want to get something when God says, worshiping me causes you to give something? As we heard, give yourself away. So I wonder, as we look today at the topic of worship, have you, like me, fallen into that trap? Fallen into the trap of saying that we, we sang that, we did that, I've heard that. And you miss God. Because there's also a, a, a part of worship that isn't public. It's private. It's what have you done all week? Have you spent time in the Word this week? Has your quiet times, your times with God been ones that you just, God just moved in an amazing way in your life and it caused you to long for Him more? Because you see, when I come into this place to corporately, publicly worship God. What I've done privately just is the overflow of what happens publicly in my life. And maybe sometimes we walk away from here not, not with our spiritual batteries not as recharged as they could have been because we really neglected our private worship. Does God have a big idea about this? Is it something that God wants us to understand? Or is worship something that God really wants us to do, and I believe he does. In the 1600s, a group of people formed together of what we know as the Westminster Shorter Catechism. There's a Westminster Catechism, the Shorter Catechism, and I believe it, there's a few words that put together for us what I believe is the heart of worship. The heart of worship is that I learn how to glorify God 
and enjoy him forever. You see, I think that's worship. It's learning that worship isn't about me. It's all about him. It's not what I like. It's what he wants. It's not what I get, but what I give. Today we're going to spend the rest of our time together in Romans. So you can take your Bibles or devices or whatever you have to read the Bible. And we'll have the words up on the screen. In chapter 12, the New Testament letter of Romans written by Paul, chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now as you're turning there, I want you to understand just very briefly the cliff notes of this. Paul wrote the first 11 chapters of Romans with very dense practical doctrine on how we're to live out our faith, knowing that we're lost spiritually and, and there's nothing that we can do on our own to be able to, to cause God to want us more, but that Christ did that for us. And the ability of knowing those things and that God wants us engaged in the process. And we also learn in Romans 6 and 7 that the struggle that we have internally is something that even Paul felt in his own life and the things that he doesn't want to do or the very things that he does. And we get to Romans 9 and Romans 10 and Romans 11. And then we get to Romans 12. And Paul shifts from being primarily doctrinally rich content to lots of practical stuff. We land, we parachute in in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. And it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let me pray with you real quick. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you demonstrated your love for us in giving, giving into your son, to provide an opportunity for us to know what it's like to be redeemed, to be purchased back, knowing what it's like to have an eternal hope that's real. And God, I pray that today with whatever concepts that we have of worship, as we come together at this time, Lord, that you would focus us in on a love for you because you have given yourself to us. And you want us to give ourselves to you completely, wholly, forever. So, Father, as we look at this, I pray that you would help us clearly to understand. And, God, I pray for that person that's yet still really doesn't have this all together yet. They're like I was many years ago. And just dealing, sorting this out, God, I pray that you would meet their needs as well. So we come to you this morning and pray that you would teach us about worship from your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe as we approach these two pivotal verses that Paul has written for us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that there are at least three things that we can take away that causes us to look away from ourselves and giving of ourselves away as what God really desires of a surrendered life. I think the first, as we look back at verse 1, uh, the, the, the statement is, is, I will give him my body. I will give him my body. Look at verse 1. 
Again, at Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. Let me just stop there for a second. What Paul is causing them and us to do is to look back. Is to look back on the mercies of God. And, you know, if we could spend a little bit of time here together, I think that many of you could share a story on how God has been merciful and kind and compassionate and gracious to you. Now, we need to define mercy. It's God not giving us what we deserve. I don't know how many of you know that I, Pam and I do Bikram yoga. It's hot yoga. It's about anywhere from 98 to 105, sometimes 109 degrees in the room for 90 minutes. Uh, and, you know, I told our yoga instructor uh, that uh, towards the end of the class, without anybody asking, she opens that outside door and this cool air starts coming in. And I said, man, that is the greatest picture I've ever seen of mercy because we're all dying in here. And she said, well, what's mercy? And I says, you giving us what we don't deserve. Oh, you guys deserve it. <laughs> I don't know whether we deserve it or not, but I'm going to tell you it's amazingly refreshing when you're dying in there of 109 degrees and you get that 72-degree air coming in. But if we're going to be honest, we know that God has given us his mercy. He has poured out his mercy in our lives. That we know Christ as our personal Savior, for those of you that do, is an act of God's mercy. That you have an assurance of heaven as your home. The assurance of forgiveness of sin, it's all on the basis of God's mercy. Paul is saying, look back. Look back in your lives and, and in the full view of your life. Look at God's mercy. In view of God's mercy and on the foundation of God's mercy I appeal to you brothers talking to believers talking to followers of Christ it's not a general letter he's talking to believers here by the mercies of God to do what to present your bodies how a living sacrifice Paul used uh, terms that would have been understood by the Jewish people then of, of the Levites, Levitical, the priest who would present a sacrifice, would kill the animal, drain the blood, present that animal as a sacrifice, not a living sacrifice, a dead sacrifice. That animal could not get off of the altar. It was expected in a preparation way that there was a whole process of washing and preparation that the priest would do, but when he offered that animal up, that animal was not alive. The determination of the life of that animal has been determined by someone else. He could not get off of that altar. He couldn't wiggle away. He couldn't stop giving himself to God. And I think that you and I need to understand what Paul was, was writing for us and what Paul was writing to the believers then is in that same way that the priest presented that offering up there, God wants us to present ourselves to him, to give ourselves away to him as a living sacrifice. Now he identified a couple areas as to be living and it's to be powerful. It's, it's, a, it's to be holy, I believe he said, uh, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. It's, it's not to get off of the altar. And I, I will tell you, there are so many times in my life 
that I felt God's movement, maybe in a worship service or maybe in, in a particular time, and I gave myself. I said, God, you can have all of me. Because that's what he wants, isn't he? He wants all of you to all of him for all of time. He wants all of you. He doesn't want a hand or a foot. He wants all of you. He wants you to give yourselves away to him. Now, you can trust him. Maybe the fear of what he asks us to do has us pausing to say, God, what if you call me to? And, and we all have, or, or you may have had a fear that God was going to call you to somewhere that you didn't want to go to do something you didn't want to do. Now, he may do that, but I think most of the time it's fear. The fear causes us not to give ourselves away, and God wants all of you. He wants your body. He wants all of you. He wants your 98.6. He wants everything in between. He wants you because that's what Jesus redeemed. That's what was purchased back was all of you. And Paul said that that living sacrifice is supposed to be holy and acceptable to God. That's how we know he's talking to believers. But it isn't just believers that have a holy sacrifice one time. Because every one of us in this building have sinned at least once this week. <laughs> I'll guarantee you that I've sinned more than once this week. You see, I think that's the, the neat thing about the way that God looks at us. He looks at us as people who have been purchased. But he looks at us as people through his eyes are perfect through the blood of Christ. But there's a practical side of us that constantly is trying to follow him day by day. You see, it's that personal side of you giving yourself away in a time uh, that you have. It could be in the morning. It could be midday. That you learn the disciplines of what it is to have a relationship with God. Because your corporate worship here together is, again, the outflow of your private time you've had with him. Paul said that it's to be a living sacrifice, it's to be holy and acceptable. And then what he says, and I, I think this is so cool, he says that it is your spiritual worship. There are other renderings of this. The NIV is one. I cut my teeth there uh, in, uh, a while ago, uh, in the NIV 84 especially. But it, it listed that it's your reasonable act of worship. The, the words that are used here, we get the word logical. Because of God's great mercy that he has poured out on us, we're to give ourselves back to him, and it's the only logical thing to do. It's what's logical is to give our bodies, to give all of ourselves back to him because of what he's done to us. Here's the question. What are you holding back? What's causing you not to give yourself completely to God? Is it fear? Is it... I've done that before, and man, I got burnt. can happen. It really can. Because we need to understand as well that people are not perfect, and the only perfect one was Jesus, and I'm not dismissing anything that may have happened in your life. I'm just telling you that God wants all of you. He not only wants your body, but he wants your mind. Look with me at verse 2, the first part of Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. I give him my mind. The first part of verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I, I really kind of like how the NIV says it. It says, Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. And I think grammatically, that may be a little bit closer because Paul is warning them of what they have been doing, and that is they have been conforming to the pattern of this world. 
they've been allowing the world and its values and system. The word, word here isn't the world is in dirt. We're talking about the world's philosophies, the world's religious systems, the world's practices. We could say to us, secular humanism, secular materialism is shaping us, passive voice, it's, a, it's doing it to us into its mold. Now, we're called to be different, aren't we? Our believers, our followers of Christ, we're called to be different in how we live and what we think and, and how we practice this stuff out. And Paul is saying to the believers there in Rome, they've been given in. They have been conforming. They have been adjusting. They've been making accommodations. Listen to a message that John MacArthur gave on this. And boy, he comes down hard on me, and, and probably not you, but me, on, uh, on watching particular things and making accommodations to say, well, it's not really that bad. Everybody's doing it. When it gets in my mind, which we'll find out here in a little bit, that's the territory he wants. Give him my body. Give him my mind. It's written here, and it's hard to get rid of. Once it's written on the mind, once the activity, the engagement, what I've, what I've seen is written on the mind, it's hard to get rid of. Now, I can do that uh, by, uh, by replacing it with Scripture. The psalmist in Psalm 119, verses 9 and 11 reminded us, I think David wrote this section, it says, how can a young man keep his way pure? Went on further, by living according to your word, he said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's a, a part of us that scripture memory begins the process of overwriting those things in our mind that take us in a path that isn't honoring to God. And I believe Paul is saying, you, you don't need to be thinking on those things. The writer of Philippians, of so Philippians chapter 4, gave us a guideline of things that we're supposed to think on, the things that are good and right and pure and noble and humble. I mean, a variety of things in chapter 4. Those are the things that you should think on. And I believe then and now that the enemy's battleground isn't often how I practice it out. It's what's in here. Because I believe that as a man thinketh, so is the man. The writer of Proverbs reminded us of that. I'm reminded as well that John in 1 John 2, 15 and 16 said, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. You see, that struggle that's in your life and my life or my mind is one that the enemy wants to win on in order to make you and to make me ineffective and unproductive in the kingdom. And he does it at times when we least expect it, when we're in here in worship, when we say, man, I didn't get anything out of that. And we walk out of here and we miss him. Because I think that when we get in that mode, we miss him. Because God is going through his, he is omnipresent, the Spirit of God is moving throughout this place because His Word's being communicated. We've been led there in worship through song. Song in worship is an element of worship. It's not only the element of worship, but it leads us to the throne of God. And if we miss Him, He's moving through here, we miss what God wants to do in our lives. We give Him our body. We give Him our mind. 
you and I do that as believers, as conscious effort. In fact, the words that are used here are words that you do that. It's not done to you. You do that. Actively, you do this. The last one seems to be the one that is so hard. I will give him my will. I will give him my will. Because up until this point, I haven't really had to do a whole lot with it yet. I give him my body and I can say, yeah, God, you've got my body. And yeah, God, you've got my mind. But I really didn't have to demonstrate it out yet. But when I give him my will, it's going to be tested. In fact, what he says in the last part of verse 2, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. You know, I think that one of the questions I'm asked often is, I wonder what God's will is for my life. There may be many of you here that are wondering, God, what is your will for my life? What is, what is it that you want me to do? God, I feel maybe this is a direction you're leading. Or God, I, I, I feel this. And God, I don't feel anything. And I don't know what you want me to do. I think we want to jump often, not all the time, but often to the third part. And we're questioning in the third part, but we don't want anything to do with giving him our body and giving him our mind. You see, you can't separate verse 1 from verse 2 and have your pick and choose. Say, I'll give him my will, but God, you just I, I don't want you to have all of me. I don't want you to make the choices. I want to make the choices. Many years ago, when we came back in 2006, we had to make a couple changes uh, in the preschool area. I came back and uh, we shifted around who was going to be a couple of the teachers and things along those lines. And I think we did it on a, thir on a Thursday and Sunday was coming. And that's the way Sunday, uh, isn't it amazing how Sunday always happens on Sunday? Uh, and so I knew that Pam had worked in preschool when we had left and gone to West Kentucky and coming back. And I came home, came home that night and I said, sweetheart, I, I just need you to do something. I need you to go in that two-year-old class. And I'm going to ask you to, to go in there. And I don't know for how long, maybe a couple weeks. <laughs> I remember her response very vividly. She was in the last service and I saw her smile back there. I cannot believe that you're abusing your position on your own family. <laughs> I don't even like preschool children. Don't even like them. It's only a couple weeks. Like, can we go out to dinner? Where's your special place? <clears throat> she went in there. And she did. Actually, what happened was she made herself available with a little help <laughs> from your friends. And the rest of it is history. Pam found her niche. Why? Because she made herself available to be tested by God. She went in there and she began to, to look those little boys and girls in the eyes. Get down on their level. She found her bent. She found where God would want her to work. Why? Because she began the process of testing, could this be it? And God said, this is it. I remember so many times, and I remember even now, uh, that right now she's doing worship kid style over in the preschool area, and there are many of you that serve in there, uh, and she loves it. She works in the, the academy and uh, loves what she does. What happened? Don't miss this. 
Pam gave of her body. She gave of her mind, and she surrendered her will to God, and God does what God does. Placed her in the right place at the right time, and she found an on-ramp to serve for the rest of her life. You see, I think that exists today. I'm just foolish enough to think that there are many of you here in this place who are still a spectator when it comes to serving God. When it comes to worshiping God, you kind of sit on the sidelines, you kind of look around thinking, should I raise my hand? Should I not, not raise my hand? And you know, I see people singing and raising, should I do that? Is it all about that? Is it all about getting something from the service? Is it about giving something to God? Because it's all about him. You see, I think that... All of the needs that we have in every particular area from adult life groups on campus to adult life groups off campus to preschooler uh, volunteer leaders to children's ministry leaders to, uh, to guest services leaders to student ministry leaders and on and on and on. The talent lies in here. 8.30 or 8 o'clock, 9.30, 10.45. It's you. It's you. Because God wants all of you. You say, well, I'm, I don't really get much out of that. It's not about you getting anything from it. It's about you giving. The will of God is good, acceptable, and perfect. Could it be that worship is not what I get from God, but what I give to God? Could it be that God clearly demonstrated that for us in giving Christ and allowing us to know Heaven is our home because he was willing to give. And he wants you to give. All of you, to all of him, for all of time. Is that what he wants? I think it is. Are you willing to take the next step and say, God, I don't know what that means. I don't know. I don't, I'm willing to give my body to you. I'm afraid. I don't know what that all means. But God, you can have all of me. God, I want you to take control of my mind. But God, I want to serve you. I really want to serve you. I want to get in a group. I want to serve you. God, I want you, at the end of my life, Father, I want to look back and say, it was your mercy that placed me all along the way. It was your mercy. It was your guidance. It was your grace. You know what he's waiting on? You. You. Every one of us in here. You'll never be smart enough You'll never know all the answers that you need to know because God wants to work through a surrendered heart. We'll give, will you give him your body? Will you give him your mind? Will you give him your will? Let me pray with you. Father, we thank you for the opportunity today to briefly look at a couple verses. But even more than that, God, I pray that in my feeble attempt, We've gained a glimpse of the great giver. God, we know that today as we're sitting here, that in your throne room, that are angels gathered around the throne and they are just calling out on holy are you. And God, as we've, came, we've come in this place, I know that every one of us has brought in the week's worth of 
difficulties and troubles, and we try to lay them down. We try to put the baggage down, but God, every now and then we just pick it back up and we start running with it again. But God, I know what you want most of all is us. You want all of us. You want my heart. You want my body. You want my will. And Father, where you'll lead, we need to follow. So Lord, I pray that you would allow us today to understand that you are patient and you are kind and you are good and you are merciful, but you also are expecting. Expecting us to want more of you than anything else and to enjoy you forever. So Lord, I pray that you would move through this place and God, that you would move in our hearts in such a way that we know it's you. When we leave this place and we get out to our car, we know that it's you because you're still working. When we go to work tomorrow, uh, we know that it's you. Or we go to school tomorrow, you're still working. Because you want us. So Father, I just pray again that we would just surrender all to you and we would give you ourselves. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.